How are you doing this afternoon? Are you well? It's a Tuesday, the 20th of April 2021. It's me, Richie Allen. Who else would it be? With Tuesday's programme. Uh, do tweet me during it as usual, BBG Richie. I've got a very interesting guest for you coming up a bit later on in the programme. Before that, though, we're going to round up uh, a few very interesting stories. Let's do a Tuesday's Richie Allen show. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Welcome, welcome. Now, I did mention on the programme last night, and typical me, typical me, typical me, I, I made a bags of it. When speaking with uh, Reverend, excuse me, when speaking with the pastor, Artur Pavlovsky, I mentioned an open letter written by, um, I said bishops, didn't I? But it wasn't bishops, it was Christian leaders in the UK. Very important news this. Last week I was on holiday. A thousand Christian leaders put their names to a letter that was drafted by the Reverend Dr. Jamie Franklin and that letter was very condemning of plans to introduce vaccine passports in this country. Jamie was very kind and got in touch with me this afternoon, said he enjoyed listening to our tour and he put me right on the letter. I've invited him on, he's a very interesting man. Uh, The Reverend Dr. Jamie Franklin will be on the programme a little bit later on and we'll have an extended chat with him about a number of different things. I'm really looking forward to it. And there, there must be a bit of divine intervention in the air because I had a lady lined up to speak to me on the programme today. Bit of a scoop for the show. I won't say much more because she pulled out, got a bit of cold feet at the last minute this afternoon, which I can understand. And I have no problem with that. And she might come on in the very near future. So I won't say too much more about it. And I was looking for something else. And Divine Intervention, Jamie had gotten in touch with me to tell me more about the letter written by the thousand Christian leaders. So God might very well be at work in the uh, at Richie Allen Show Towers today. Could be the case now. I'm not going to rule it out. What sort of a Tuesday have you been having yourself? Uh, The Prime Minister is currently, I believe, giving another one of these excruciatingly boring briefings from Downing Street. And it's all to do with news from India, where things are terrible, apparently. India has been added to the red list of countries, where from Friday, if you've travelled to the UK from India, you'll be refused entry. So don't book a ticket to the UK from India from Friday. Because you won't be allowed in, apparently. So Johnson is giving a briefing. If anything interesting emerges out of that, uh, well, first of all, I'll, I'll eat my hat. But if anything does, I'll bring it to you at some stage during the programme. All righty. Looking forward to hearing from the Reverend Dr. Jamie Franklin. Another lovely day, spring day. And I have a, I, I, I go to a shop. Every Well, not every day, but most days. I pop around the corner to a shop and I chat with an Indian gentleman whose name is Gofur. That's his name. Now, he works at the shop. It isn't his own shop. And he's a nice guy. He drives in from out of town to work in the shop. And Gofur has bought the COVID thing hook, line and sinker. He believes it, every aspect of it. 
and he wears a mask, even though hilariously nobody going into the shop is wearing a mask. This is Salford now. Nobody, right? And he knows by now, because he asked me, that I'm a broadcaster, and he knows that I think many aspects of what has, has happened, has transpired, much of it is a hoax. But he doesn't take it personally, which I find fascinating. But nor will he engage me on any of the points that I make. It's a wonderful exchange I have with him every day, every or every other morning. It should be every other morning. He gets into the COVID. And this morning was no different. He was delighted to see me this morning, was old uh, go for, because, because of the Indian double mutant variant. <laughs> he couldn't wait to tell me. Many people will die. Now, I'm not going to do an Indian accent, first of all, because I can't do one. I can't do any accent, really. I can barely do my own. But I saw what happened to Hank Azaria and uh, the Apu character. So I'm not going to get into that. But he was delighted to see me this morning. And he asked me, had I, had I read about the Indian double mutant variant? And I, I say, look, it's all a load of old baloney, you know. And I explain why. But he won't engage me on the facts. He just throws stock phrases at me. Many people have died. <laughs> but they haven't. Don't do the accent. And I say this and that. And he's like, he's like, did you see everybody going off to the River Ganges? Millions could die, he says to me. It's high comedy if anybody was to film the exchanges. And I say, that's nonsense. The PCR test is redundant. It's the same in India. The death certificates are fudged. You know, it's any death within 28 days of testing positive. And I say all that and he comes straight back with, I am really worried about my sister. <laughs> Your sister will be all right, you know. But it's never any hard feelings. Which is a good thing, I suppose. You know, he doesn't get the hump that I don't believe it. Harmless he is, and the sweat is pissing out of him in his feckin' mask behind the counter. And nobody going in there is wearing a mask. Here's a bit of a random thought for you. This is something that crossed my mind this morning. You know, like any other broadcaster, you're surfing the channels of, of a morning. I'm listening to Radio 4, Radio 5, and the the, the the talk shows, GMB, Sky News, and the like, to try and hear what's going on and who's saying what and all the rest of it. And it occurred to me this morning that we really are becoming a nation of snoops and grasses, aren't we? Rats we're becoming. Snoops and rats or grasses. They probably never heard the term to grass over there in the US. Or at least we're being encouraged to become snoops and grasses. And I'll tell you why now. Because BBC Breakfast this morning featured a tradesman, wait for it, who was being now a tradesman, a handyman, a guy who can turn his hand to most anything, right with a spanner, a wrench or whatever, a screwdriver and a spirit level, can do anything really. And they featured a guy this morning who said that he's being, he, he is being trained by his local authority to spot signs of domestic abuse when he's working inside local authority houses. Yes. So the guy, now a local authority house is a house that is owned, yes, by the local authority. It would be affordable housing and it would be rented by a family whose income wouldn't be uh, sufficient to rent or to buy their own, or to rent in the private sector, or to buy their own house. Right, local authority houses. We used to have many, 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 many local authority houses 
But then Maggie Thatcher, the backstart, and the banks colluded to offer people a bonanza. Come and buy your own local authority house. Buy it and own it rather than rent it from your local authority. And really that scheme was designed to get more and more of these houses into the hands of vulture funds, of course, and, uh, and, and to big business. Right, OK. The idea was that the council house tenant who took out a mortgage to buy their own council home would eventually lose it. That was the plan. And the fiendish Thatcher, uh, well, it worked. Lots and lots and lots of these houses now are gone. They're owned by uh, companies that own lots of houses that now rent them at exorbitant rents in the private sector. These houses that were meant to be owned by the state and to be kept for people who couldn't buy their own house. Right, it's devilish, it's fiendish. I've spent too much time talking about it on the Richie Allen Radio Show. Now, so, the local authorities are saying to the handymen, now I am mortgaged up to my moobs, that's my man boobs, my moobs, right? So if my, if, if there's a leak under my kitchen sink, I won't be fixing it because I'm as useless as tits on a bore. As useless as tits on a bore. So I will phone a handy man or a handy woman and they will pull my trousers down and take me to the cleaners because I can't do anything. But if you're renting from the local authority, it's all included. Obviously, they'll send out a tradesman. And they're going to train the tradesmen and tradeswomen to spot signs of domestic abuse when they're working inside local authority houses. Now, over on Sky News, this is on the BBC Breakfast, right? Over on Sky News, the presenter Stephen Dixon was joined by celebrity hairdresser Nicky Clark. Yes, he's still alive. COVID didn't take him, sadly. Now, look up Nicky Clark hairdresser and you'll see what I mean. He's got a face for slapping now. Anywho, look him up. Google him. Nicky Clark is involved in an initiative to train hairdressers to spot the signs of domestic abuse. Tradesmen, now hairdressers. Now, hang on a second. Domestic abuse is a terrible thing. I grew up in Ballybeg in Waterford and I knew of at least two women when I was a very young boy who were getting battered from pillar to post by their husbands on a daily basis. It's a dreadful, dreadful thing. I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to help women or men uh, who are being battered. But where does it end? Where does it end? Where does it stop? Does it just become, keep an eye out now for any signs that, you, you know, the, the woman of the house, the ban on tea, or the man or the children are being battered? When, when does it kind of morph out into other things? Keep an eye out now for this. Keep an eye out for children doing this. Keep an eye out for what they're reading, for what they're watching. Keep an eye out for who they've got coming around the house. Where does it end, right? I would say. Maybe I'm being a bit, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, 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 I'm looking at worst case scenarios. 11 minutes past uh, five. There's a lot to get through. I better hurry up. Uh, Michael Gove is in Israel. The Cabinet Minister Michael Gove. The Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, if you please. And he's there uh, because he's leading a review of vaccine passports. He is. Michael Gove. Would you believe it? And travelling with him is none other than England's Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Jonathan Van Tam. That must be fun. That journey, eh? If there couldn't be enough alcohol on the plane to endure sitting with Jonathan Van Tam and Michael Gove, but they're in Israel 
uh, because Israel is operating the so-called Green Pass system, where you have to show that you've been jabbed to get into gyms, swimming pools, restaurants, cafes, hotels, sports venues, cinemas, crazy golf, hot air balloons and brothels. Uh, I made the last three up. So it's coming here. Green Pass system. They want to bring it in here. Michael Gove is leading a review and I believe sometime in the next couple of weeks Gove is going to publish his findings which will presumably be yes we should have vaccine passports to allow us to to allow us even to open up the economy even fuller. So we'll bring you more on that when we have it. And I was sent this by two or three people on Twitter today. I don't know if you've seen this uh, about town criers. Did you see this? This is pure vaudeville now. Prepare yourself. For the first time in its history, this year's British Town Crier Championships is being held, believe it or not, dear listener, in total silence. What kind of fuckery is this? Yes. Yes, they're holding the British Town Crier Championships in complete silence. Think of the films you've seen over the years, the movies, uh, the movies, uh, medieval times, the town crier walking up and down with the bell, hear ye, hear ye, and all of that. Um, as the country starts to exit lockdown, according to the BBC, the UK's top professional shouters will be judged on their written cries alone. As the loyal company of town criers, which hosts the competition, has received hundreds of entries from across the country, the organiser... And Bishop's Stortford crier, Carol Williams, said it was a return to the bare bones of crying. She said it's a real skill to write a cry that sticks to the theme, that enlightens people and doesn't bore the audience. And it all has to be done in 140 words, she said. Organisers decided to judge the 2021 competition without sound because not everybody is able to record a good quality video so they're going to judge it on written cries alone. Dorchester's crier, Alistair Chisholm, is a 10-time and current national champion. He has described the sport as, wait for it, an extreme sport, he said. Crying is an extreme sport. He said the quality of the written cries was important, but the competition would not be the same without sound. Extreme sport, he said. Ironing while skydiving is an extreme sport. I might have told you before, maybe I did, maybe I didn't, but I bottled a skydive many moons ago. I bottled a skydive. I did, back in the mid-1990s. I collected quite a lot of money for charity and did all the training for three days and was going to jump out of a plane and then shat myself in the plane. No effing way am I going down. Close that door now. And the guy said, but you'll, you'll be strapped to me. It's going to be fine. I said I wouldn't do it if I was strapped to Pamela Anderson. If I was strapped to Diana Rigg. Or even Jean Ann Crowley. This is the Richie Allen Radio Show for Tuesday, by the way, April 20th. Odyssey and native New Yorker on your Richie Allen Radio Show. Thanks to Fanula Murphy for sending me this. Thank you, Fanula. How are you doing, by the way? Connoisseur to Fanula. This is very interesting. Irish listeners will know all about Luke O'Neill, a professor of biochemistry at Trinity College Dublin. He's an immunologist as well. Is Professor Luke O'Neill. He's had radio programmes on News Talk. He's worked with Pat Kenny and others. And he is a major pusher of vaccination, vaccinating everybody for coronavirus 
a major pusher of it. So, I didn't know this until very recently, in fact, in the last couple of minutes, Luke O'Neill, this guy pushing the vaccine on Irish men, women and children, was on Irish National Radio over the weekend speaking with Brendan O'Connor and incredulously, incredibly, uh, he says or acknowledges that he himself has refused the offer of a vaccine. Here's the exchange, or some of it, with uh, Brendan. It, it is Brendan O'Connor, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Luke O'Neill, you just telling us there in the break, you haven't got a vaccination. No. You were offered one? I was. I'm, I don't work in the hospital. My, my lab is on Pear Street. But see. listen, any anyone who ever walked into a hospital in their life know, or did a bit yeah. of plumbing or carpentry well, in there has a vaccination at this stage? We have three people in my lab go to the hospital, get samples. They got vaccinated. Okay. The, rest, the rest of us said no. You must be one of the few people now who didn't uh, jump at it, but um, we were offered it. Like, the rest of us said no. 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 The rest of us. Yeah, we get the point. Yeah, I only listened to the first thirty seconds of the clip because I just got it over, over the last couple of minutes. So what we'll have to do is dig out the rest of that interview. Did Brendan O'Connor, the presenter, get stuck right into Luke O'Neill and ask him why did the rest of you say no, Luke? seeing as you want everybody in the country to take it, despite the fact that a coroner based in Mayo, who we mentioned on the programme yesterday, said that many, many, many Irish people who, who, who have been registered as having died of coronavirus probably didn't, probably didn't die of coronavirus. In Ireland, it's alleged that 4,000 people died of coronavirus, or just over. And of course, many of them didn't die of coronavirus. Luke O'Neill, we'll have to dig deeper into that. Thanks, Fanula. Why is he not having the vaccine? We'll, uh, we'll dig into it. He's not going to come on this programme, of course, so I won't waste my time. I won't waste my time. Right, let's swiftly move on then. This is a big story. I was hoping to get somebody to talk about it on the programme today, but it isn't going to be possible today. So we might have to wait till tomorrow or Thursday. Um, I'm going to read the BBC story. Briefly, I won't use my own words, radical new climate change commitments will set the UK on course to cut carbon emissions by 78% by 2035. This was announced this morning. This will be law now. To cut climate change, to cut carbon emissions by 78% by 2035. Hitting those targets would require more electric cars, low-carbon heating, renewable electricity and, for many, cutting down on meat and dairy. That's the BBC's own words. For many, cutting down on meat and dairy. And for the first time, climate law will be extended to cover international aviation and shipping. So flying will get more expensive. It'll become more exotic. It'll become the exclusive domain of very wealthy people, maybe. So the BBC goes on to say that homes will need to be much better insulated and people will be encouraged to drive less and to walk and cycle more. Yes, and then aviation will become more expensive for frequent flyers. You might be allocated a number of flights, dear listener, that you can buy at the regular prices, maybe. You might get one a year, maybe. This is all speculation now, because as usual, the government hasn't deigned, that is, stooped, down to our level, the great unwashed, to give us any details. Now, you might remember me saying this last year on this programme, they'll soon limit where you can go and when you can go there. I said that, 
Yeah, I put out some silliness last year. I said, maybe the side of the street I live on, we might be permitted to take our cars out on the first and third weekends of the month. And the other side of the street where you live, you can maybe go for a Sunday drive on the second and fourth weekends of every month. It's a bit mad now. And a number of people were on television and radio today and they were saying how great this all is. But again, none of them wanted to be drawn on how far they would need to go to compel people not to eat certain things, not to drive, not to travel, etc., etc. People like Baroness Worthington and all of these climate change agents, the Green Party, the usual suspects. Let me tell you this before I play this clip that I haven't played in years. I'm supposed to believe this garbage because my politics were... I haven't had politics for, God, 20 years now. 2002 was the last time I voted in a general election. Back in the Irish general election of 2002. So it's been that long. I don't have politics, but my politics were socialist. Right? Real socialist politics. Right, right, okay, right, right. Enough talk about that. I'm supposed to buy into this crap, but I never bought into it. Never, from day one. I was always uh, arguing against it, the notion that man-made climate change was real, that CO2 emissions, man-made CO2 emissions, industrial activity was leading to a warming of the planet that would eventually kill us all. I never believed it because there was no evidence. And I wasn't prompted to, to, to say what I was saying by any special interest groups. I was just a journalist. And I never bought into it because there isn't a shred of evidence to support it. It is madness. And it's a great time to play a little bit of a clip that I haven't played for about four years. It's Ian Plymer's speech in London from 2013. Uh, the Australian geologist, the professor of earth sciences at the University of Melbourne, published multiple peer-reviewed studies on climate change and why it's nonsense and dangerous and what it means for humanity. He's a great, great guy. Here's just a few clips. They're short-ish clips, but you probably, if you're new to this programme, we've had so many new listeners, I suppose, in the last 12 months, like many other independent, independently produced programmes, so many new listeners looking for alternative explanations to coronavirus. So you might not have heard this. Listen to this man talk about the notion of CO2 causing temperature rises on planet Earth. It's very good, it's very important, it's very prescient, Ian Plymer. And the one thing that we miss out on in looking at climate change is the past. Climates have always changed. Climate changes in the past have been greater and faster than anything we experience in our lifetime. And sea levels have always changed. Not by the modest couple of millimetres that people are having conniptions about, but we've had in the past sea level changes of only 1,500 metres. That's a sea level change. And if we look back in the history of time, the atmosphere once had a very large amount of carbon dioxide in it. It's now got less than 0.04%. Where did that carbon dioxide go to? It went into chalk limestone, shells and life. And we've been sequestering carbon dioxide 
out of the atmosphere for only 2,000 to 500 million years. This planet has been degassing carbon dioxide since it first formed on that Thursday 4,567 million years ago. Carbon dioxide is a natural gas. It has dominated the atmosphere for an extraordinarily long period of time and we now are at a dangerously low level. If we halved the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, we would have no terrestrial plants. Carbon dioxide is plant food. It is not a pollutant. To use words like pollution with carbon dioxide is misleading and deceptive. Very good. Let's move on a little bit more now and talk where, where he talks about the past. The secret to debunking climate change theory is the past, is the evidence of great shifts and great changes in uh, our climate over the last thousand to two thousand years, especially, but going back tens of thousands of years before that. And he points out at some stage in the clips that I've got for you today, this is the reason that the climate evangelicals, because that's what they are, they don't want to talk about history. Ian Plymer. But the past gives us a wonderful story. In the past, we've had six major ice ages. We are currently in an ice age. It started 34 million years ago when South America had the good sense to pull away from Antarctica and there was a <laughs> circumpolar current set up which isolated Antarctica and we started to get the Antarctic ice sheet. We've had periods of glaciation and interglacials. We are currently in interglacial. And during that 34 million years, we have refrigerated the Earth. But for less than 20% of time, we have had ice on planet Earth. The rest of the time, it's been warmer and wetter. And there's been more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And what did life do? It thrived. Six of the six great ice ages were initiated when the carbon dioxide content of the atmosphere was higher than now. In fact, it's hugely important that at many times in, 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 in the history of this planet, the atmosphere has had far, far more CO2 in it than it does now. And there's no escape in that. Now, in fact, up to a thousand times higher. So we have from the geological evidence absolutely no evidence that carbon dioxide has driven climate. For some odd reason, the major driver of climate is that great ball of heat in the sky, which we call the sun. That's, that's, you heard it here first. It's really quite unusual. And we change our distance from the sun. Every 100,000 years, our orbit changes from elliptical to circular. And we have a cycle of 90,000 years of cold and 10,000 years of warm. We're in one of those warm cycles now. And every 43,000 years, the axis of the Earth changes a little bit. And every 21,000 years, we get a bit of a wobble. Each of those orbital events puts further from the sun. Every now and then, we get bombarded by cosmic rays coming from a supernova eruption somewhere out there. And if the sun's magnetic field cannot drive these away, we start to form low-level clouds. We've got extremely good evidence that this process has been going on for a very long period of time. Very long period of time. He continues. We have drill cores that have gone through the ice sheets 
Very important, the drill cores that have extracted trapped air from the ice sheets. Snow, when it falls, captures some air. That air is then trapped in the ice. We can later extract it from drill core and measure the amount of carbon dioxide in the air. And we can see with our cycles of glaciation and interglacials that when we finish an interglacial event, then we release carbon dioxide some 800 million years later. Uh, sorry, 800 years later. So what's that telling us? It's telling us that temperature is driving carbon dioxide, not that carbon dioxide is driving temperature. Oh yes, but that's only hundreds of thousands of years ago. Forget that. Well, let's go to more modern times. We've been measuring temperatures accurately since 1850, and the accuracy is plus or minus one degree Celsius for those ancient measurements. We are being told that this 0.7 degrees Celsius rise is going, to, is going to create a disaster. I've only got to move over to here and I've had a 0.7 degree Celsius temperature rise. Don't forget this was done in 2013, 2012. They're now saying 1.5 degree temperature rise, but it still doesn't matter. Temperature rise. Where do you people go for your summer holidays? You go to a warmer climate. We are creatures from the Rift Valley. We like warm climates. If someone from Helsinki moves to Singapore, there's an average temperature rise of 22 degrees Celsius. Singaporeans don't drop dead in the streets from the temperature. <laughs> so we are creatures of warm climates and we've been measuring temperature and we have seen a slight warming from 1860 to 1890 and then a slight cooling until 1910, then a warming until 1940, so much so that the Northwest Passage was open, then a cooling until 1977 and then a warming until the end of the century and now we're in a period of cooling. So we've had these cycles of warming and cooling. Strange that these cycles are actually related to changes in the heat balance in the oceans. So we have these 60-year cycles over a long warming event. We are in a period of global warming. It has been warming since the Maunder minimum 330 years ago. These were the times when you had the ice fairs on the Thames. These are the times when the Dutch masters painted hoarfrosts and bitterly cold conditions. That was the time when the sun was a bit inactive and we had no sunspot activity. So we're in a long period of warming and one of the questions that I ask in this book is which part of the last 330 years of warming is due to human activity and which part is natural? These are questions that kids should ask their school teachers and they're deliberately unanswerable questions. Yeah, because they'll only discuss the last 30, 40 years usually uh, on occasion, they'll get into the last 150 years. They'll talk about the Industrial Revolution, but they'll never go back any further than that because it obliterates the, the theory. It blows it out of the water. Um, here's another clip. We'll finish with this one. A couple of minutes long. Very interesting, this. As I am of the view that many children are getting fed environmental propaganda in the schools and are not being given the critical and analytical facilities to be propaganda in schools, he said. Now, this is obviously several years before the emergence of Greta Thunberg, right? We are the dissected argument. So we're in a period of warming. What's the worry? It's quite normal. And let's just look at history. The one thing that the climate industry, which it is, ignores is history. In Roman times, it was warm. It was considerably warmer than now. And we know that. They kept good records. They grew olives up the Rhine River as far as Bonn. 
They had wine grapes in Yorkshire. We know from their clothing that it was warm. Possibly they were going through an orgy, but I think it more <laughs> likely it was warm. And that warming suddenly stopped in 535 AD. And we entered the Dark Ages. And in 535 AD, we had Krakatoa fill the atmosphere with aerosols. And it wasn't a big volcano. Only 30 cubic kilometres of aerosols go into the atmosphere. We've had bigger ones in Yellowstone. We've had even bigger ones in New Zealand, where 10,000 cubic kilometres of aerosols have gone into the atmosphere. And we pray for another one, because that's the only way we'll ever beat them at rugby. <laughs> Just wipe them out. <laughs> we had two volcanoes, one in Rabaul and one in Krakatoa in Indonesia in 535-536. We went into the Dark Ages. It was cool. What happened? Crops failed. We starved. We had civil unrest. We had cannibalism. We broke out of that into the medieval warming. First to feel it was the Vikings. The seas became calmer. They could go further fishing. They actually went to Newfoundland, which they called Vinland. In Greenland, grapes and barley were growing. In Greenland, the graves were deep because there was no permafrost. It was a wonderful, benign climate, five degrees warmer than now. Eric the Red was saying, come to Greenland, it's a wonderful climate, and it was. And then we went through a period of solar inactivity, and in 23 years, we went from the medieval warming into the Little Ice Age. And that Little Ice Age ended 330 years ago. So what do you think would happen after a Little Ice Age? Do you think it'd get colder, or do you think it'd get warmer? The only reason that the arguments of science have got any traction in society is that they have been related to the last 30 years or 40 years of temperature measurements. And, and nothing before that. You know, growing grapes in Yorkshire, as he mentioned there, growing olives in, in northern Germany, these are historically accurate claims. And... And they're borne out by, by history, where you had long, long periods where it was far, far warmer than they are warning that it will get. They're saying one and a half degrees and ca ca catastrophic, but that wouldn't be anywhere near as warm as it was for, for, for long periods in the history of this planet. And it didn't do anything to the flora and fauna, and it didn't kill people. It didn't cause cataclysmic... Um, um, sea level rises and and cataclysmic weather events. There was none of that going on. He's a really interesting guy. The last I heard of Ian Plymer was he did an interview for Sky News Australia back in 2019 and I do think, or I do believe that interview can be accessed via YouTube if you want to find out more about Ian Plymer. The time is 21 minutes to the top of the hour. A tune from the Eagles and then we're going to hear a little bit from, we're going to hear from, I should say, not on this programme, but uh, Dr. David Nabarro, who's the World Health Organization's special envoy on COVID-19. He gave an extraordinarily bizarre interview to Sky News this morning, and luckily enough, I was able to grab it, all right? So we'll hear some of that right soon. Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show. Always good to be with you. I've got a terrific guest for you, of course, coming up a little bit later on. The Reverend Dr. Jamie Franklin drafted the letter about vaccine passports that was signed by a thousand Christian leaders in this country. And he's going to be a fascinating guy coming up a bit later on. After, not after this. I'm back after this.
Deagles, yeah. Mrs. Deagle. The Eagles and life in the fast lane on the Richie Allen Radio Show. A Tuesday's programme. Lovely, lovely Tuesday afternoon in the northwest of the country. Yeah. It's at 18 minutes or 17 minutes to 6 o'clock to the top of the air. Speaking of the double mutant Indian variant, David Nabarro is the World Health Organization's special envoy on COVID-19. What does that even mean? What the hell does that even mean? The special envoy on COVID. What does he do? That sounds like one of those honorary titles. That doesn't mean diddly squat. But anyway, he's a fixture on the telly. And he was on Sky News with Stephen Dixon this morning. Stephen Dixon on Sky News. Because Stephen Dixon is on breakfast now. He's on breakfast now. Before Stephen Dixon, it was Neil Patterson. It was Neil Patterson. They've all been filling in for R.K. Burley. Who it seemed, a couple of weeks ago, was going to be leaving Sky News permanently. But Kay, thankfully, has hinted on Twitter in recent days that she's coming back. Is that right? Fabulous. It's all good. <laughs> she might be back, the ginger ninja, which case my mood will improve by at least 60%. I hope, anyway. Uh, the mutant variants then from India, the double mutant variant and the River Ganges and all that stuff. This guy, David Nabarro, was on with Stephen Dixon to talk about this and, um, well, it doesn't get any more mad. Well, UK had a really massive surge, actually, just at the beginning of this year. I don't know whether you remember, but there was a time when the British incidence was the highest in Europe. Now India is having a surge, and so too are are Nepal, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and also in Latin America, Brazil. And I think what this shows me is that you never know when a surge is going to come but you can be pretty sure that when there's a lot of movement among people, then a surge is more likely. Ding, 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 ding. These are the alarm bells. You see, you've got to listen to every word that these arseholes uh, utter, mutter. When there's a lot of movement, we get the surges. Well, the obvious treatment for that then is, right, I don't have to tell you. The only question is whether the number of people who've been immunised is sufficient to make that surge much less ferocious than it would otherwise have been. And that's the sort of issue that the chief medical officer and others will be looking at in the UK right now. Mm. I mean, there are concerns, aren't there? I mean, it's, it's, it's ironic that the fact we are so far through our vaccination programme, if something like the, the India variant, a, a ju- double mutation... <laughs> proves to be, yeah. you know, proves to, to be able to sort of not be overly affected by our vaccine. Well, Proves to not be overly affected by our vaccine? This guy's on national telly. That, that leaves us almost wide open. We're wide open. It? I mean, th- these are the yeah. concerns moving forward. Jesus. He's supposed to be challenging this guy. Yeah, OK. Stephen, I, I want to be uh, clear with you that I... Per- Let me be clear. ...personally expect that variants will appear... Uh, in different parts of the world that are capable of beating the protection offered by the current vaccines. Variants will emerge around the world that have the capability to beat the current vaccines. I'm willing to bet on it, says David Navarro. A lot of money at stake there. Right. 
It's not a case of if, but when. When. And so I'm saying to everybody that I work with, we do have to maintain our respect for this virus. We can beat it, but it means maintaining the physical distance Uh and wearing masks and also being forever really good about isolating uh, when we are told to. I just when you're told to. So keep wearing the masks, keep socially distancing and isolate when you're told to. Four people died in the UK yesterday having tested positive for coronavirus in the 28 days before they died. Four people. The hospitals are empty. Nobody's sick. We're having a kind of an Indian spring. No such thing. But it's very warm. These arseholes are saying, keep wearing the masks, keep the distancing, and have some respect. Have some respect for the virus, will you? Heard the item just now on the programme about the challenge of ensuring that isolation is done properly. But that's really important for getting ahead of this disease. And we're going to have to go on treating it with respect, uh, actually, I'm afraid, for quite a lot of months to come. Yeah, a lot of months to come. So presumably the question by the presenter, Stephen Dixon, the next question is inevitably, but listen, everything is hunky-dory, nobody has the virus. And what do you mean months to come? Jesus, man, we can't go on living like this. You would imagine that's what Stephen Dixon says. No. Yeah, I mean, look, the the way you talk seems to be... You know, we're going to have to treat it with that respect and maintain some of these rules, <laughs> actually, un- until yes. until globally it is being properly yeah. tackled. That's it. Yeah, and what does he say to that? Let's keep these rules until every last man, woman and child and Eskimo on the planet have been vaccinated. Mm. That's it. Because That's it. Uh, although you believe that if you put a, a sort of very strong border control in you can somehow keep out variants. All the experience over the years is that, yes, you can slow down the arrival of new diseases through what you do at your borders, but you can never stop it completely. It's just these viruses, they conceal themselves inside people's bodies. (laughs) They're so dastardly, they're so clever, these viruses, aren't they? Borders. But you can never stop it completely. Why? It's just these viruses, they conceal themselves inside people's bodies. They conceal themselves inside people's bodies. The viruses, they're basically just like, they're basically just like, I don't know, un, I don't know, I don't know. It's like immigration, isn't it? They can conceal themselves and get in, then cause havoc. Then they slip through. So that's why I'm saying uh, just... We have to keep remembering this pandemic hasn't gone away. Do you know? Not gone away. Now, when I started out in media, if somebody had if somebody had come back from the future in a DeLorean to nineteen ninety nine, a wild haired mad scientist, and said to me, I've got a recording of an interview from twenty twenty one and played it to me in nineteen ninety eight, I wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't believe I would be listening to that. I would say, well, that's a parody. It must be a parody. The presenter can't be real, and the guest is obviously not real, but this is normality now. These guys get to ride roughshod across the airwaves and talk such monumental bollocks. It leaves me rolling around on the ground on the floor of my living room laughing, beating my fists on the ground. And it's real. This is real. No, last week there were more cases during the week 
than ever before during the pandemic, according to my numbers. <laughs> and that means this thing is still ferocious. Ferocious. And uh, we've still got to go on battling it. And we can do it. You know, people are the solution. We're not the problem. And we can get ahead of this virus. Uh, the, the health secretary talking this week about a, you know, a third booster in the autumn. I mean, that... Ah, the old boosters. I mean, that, from, from what I'm reading, from what you're saying, that, that would seem to be inevitable then. What do you think he says? I think so. Uh, the vaccine... <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Of course. This will have to go on being modified to keep track with the virus, which will continue to evolve. Uh, and that means we will get new variants cropping up. We don't know when they'll come, as I said, but they will come. And then, uh, uh, because we're quite skilled globally at producing vaccines right now, there'll be a really good response. But just imagine you're modifying your vaccine at intervals. At the same time, you're trying to immunise the world. It's a massive job. And I think that from my perspective, I just would like everybody to understand we've still got a lot of work to do to get this pandemic in the box and to shut the box and to feel that we can actually <laughs> get on with our lives without worrying about it. We've got to keep the defences up. Yeah, well, Dr Nabarro, it's really good to talk to you this morning. Thank you. Thanks for the clarity. <laughs> Thanks for the clarity. That was an infomercial for Pfizer and AstraZeneca and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson, presented to you by Sky News, led beautifully by a guy who probably calls himself a journalist, Stephen Dixon. Thing of beauty, that, wasn't it? Madness. That's what they said uh, this morning. They said yesterday, four more deaths from the dreaded coronavirus. And I think they said a couple of thousand cases. And uh, on we go, on we go. It never ends. It's never meant to end. Social distancing is not going to end. Mask wearing. I told you yesterday about my experience and, and, and my better half... Our experience last week in, in Ambleside, the majority of people we passed outdoors in God's most beautiful countryside in the UK were wearing masks. Were wearing masks. And we overheard at lunch one afternoon a lovely family, three generations, grand granddad, mum and dad, and then two beautiful young grandchildren who were in love with our golden retriever. We overheard the family discussing which vaccine they were likely to get. Over lunch. Do you think it'll be Moderna? Might be. Yeah, you might get. We haven't approved the Johnson & Johnson, have we? No, no. No, we haven't. No, no. We haven't. No. No, I think the European Union might be uh, considering the Johnson & Johnson. Not sure about that one. Might get the Pfizer. Yeah, that's what they were saying. Could overhear them. And me and the missus just grinned at one another. These people are a bit mad. <laughs> They're a bit mad, but they were nice. And that's the difficult thing. They were nice people. They were very genial. They were very interested in us and our dog, and they were lovely. And they weren't wearing masks in the beer garden now to give them their due. Anyway, what about this bloody virus from India? Boris Johnson, this mutation from India. The Prime Minister, the, um, the man we know as Boris Johnson, has been delivering a briefing at Downing Street in the last hour. And thanks to the BBC for generously donating this bit of audio to me, the Indian var variant hasn't 
been deemed a variant of concern yet, says Boris Johnson here, I believe. The uh, decision on India, again, was taken by the, uh, by the JBC, really in response in, in, to the, the state of the pandemic there. And you, you'll recall that at the moment, uh, this is a, a very, the, what we're seeing in India is a result of a variant under investigation. It hasn't yet been deemed a, a variant of concern. I think that was why there was, uh, there's been uh, the uh, delay. And um, I, what people, I think what the, the JBC has decided is on, on a purely uh, precaution. Ah, get rid of that crap. That's him talking about it's not yet been decided as a variant of concern. Boris Johnson. Before that, though, he did mention there might be a tablet. Now, don't keel over. Are you sitting down now? Are you sitting down? There's a bit of optimism from from Boris Johnson. He says, in the future, because of the new antivirals task force, which was set up to look into getting some tablets or pills to treat coronavirus by the autumn. There's a new antivirals task force to find antiviral drugs. Boris says here, if you test positive, there might be a tablet that you could take at home to stop the virus in its bloody tracks. Here he is, the Prime Minister at the briefing about the tablets. The uh, decision on India, again, was taken by the, uh, by the JBC, really. In re- I pledged you the same clip as I pledged you a minute ago. That was a drastic mistake, that. Let's try again on the tablets that might stop the virus in its bloody tracks. Boris Johnson. The majority of scientific opinion in this country is still firmly of the view that there will be another wave of COVID at some stage this year. And so we must, as far as possible, learn to live with this disease as we live with other diseases. We'll be bolstering our defences with booster jabs this autumn. autumn. We'll be continuing with testing. And today I want to announce what we hope will be a further line of medical defence. The United Kingdom was the first country in the world to pioneer dexamethasone, which has saved a million lives globally. And today, we're creating a new antivirals task force to search for the most promising new medicines and support their development through clinical trials with the aim of making them safely and rapidly available as early as the autumn. This means, for example, that if you test positive, there might be a tablet you could take at home to stop the virus in its tracks and significantly reduce the chance of infection turning into more severe disease. Wonderful. There might be a tablet. Now, listeners to the Richie Allen Show will remember before I went away, I interviewed Dr. Tess Laurie. Now, she is a very, very, very credible scientist who has made a career out of looking into the efficacy and safety of medicines. And didn't Tess come on? And tell me that there is now an abundance of evidence that ivermectin is very successful at treating respiratory infections. And it's also very, 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 very cheap. And Tess has shared her information and her findings with all of the political parties and the government. And they don't want to know.
so they don't. It's the Richie Allen Show. It's live, as usual, from Salford in the great, great, great northwest of the UK. A lot of talk again today about football clubs breaking away. I don't think it's too relevant to us. I think maybe it is, maybe. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm not going to get into it today anyway. I'll only depress myself. I'm going to be joined very shortly by uh, the man who drafted the letter, the Reverend Dr. Jamie Franklin, as a letter that was co-signed by a thousand Christian leaders objecting to the creation of vaccine passports. It's a brilliant letter, very strongly worded. Happened when I was away and Jamie got in touch with me today. Lovely chap, very kind of him to say, oh, come on, Richie. And he couldn't have picked a better day to do that. So Jamie will be with me in a few moments' time. And if there's anything you'd like me to mention to him, please do drop me a tweet. It's at BBGRitchie. That's my Twitter handle. And listen, Dolores Cahill, Professor Dolores Cahill, will be back on this programme tomorrow. We've not had her on for a couple of months. There's lots of new news. So I've invited Dolores on. She will be with me in the second hour of tomorrow's programme. I thought I'd give you a heads up on that. And some of you are screaming for a phone-in. We'll do a phone-in early next week. That is a promise, I tells you. And I, I keep my promises, you know. Yes, the Richie Allen Radio Show is live. And it is the most listened to independent radio show in Europe. Now that's the truth, that. Take that to the bank. This is level 42, Lessons in Love. Back with lots more talk after this. Lessons in Love, level 42. On your Richie Allen radio show, it is uh, Tuesday, of course, the 20th of April, and it's uh, unseasonably warm. Maybe there is something to the old climate change, maybe. I don't know. What do you think, BBG Richie? Let's welcome my next get my first get my only guest today, to the programme. What a fantastic letter that was co-signed by a thousand Christian leaders in this country that was sent to the government early last week and, to be fair, was covered by the media in this country to give the media its due. It did cover it. A fantastic letter, very strongly worded, so it was, in opposition to the introduction of vaccine passports. Um, Brilliant. Using terminology like medical apartheid, uh, talking about coercion, and violation of the principle of informed consent. I've not read a letter as succinct and as brilliantly written as this for a long time. The Christian leaders saying that they want to state categorically that there are no circumstances in which they would close their doors to people who do not have a vaccine passport, negative test certificate or any other proof of health. It's a great letter. I've tweeted a link out. I'll do it again if you haven't read it. Let's welcome to the programme the gentleman who drafted the letter. Let's say hello to the Reverend Dr. Jamie Franklin. Jamie, thanks so much for getting in touch. How are you? I'm doing really well, thanks, Richie. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. You saved my bacon today. It was like divine intervention. I had somebody lined up to come on. It was all set. 
and then they cried off and within seconds you sent me a lovely tweet and I was thrilled uh, to, to make your acquaintance and then I realised I'd seen you before I'd watched you speaking with James Dellingpole in March I believe because I watch uh, the Dellingpod and you were brilliant and I'd made a note actually to myself you must get in touch with uh, Jamie and sure it went by the wayside so thanks for coming on brilliant brilliant letter first things first have you received any response from the government or anybody around the government well i mean obviously we haven't had any response for, from the prime minister but we didn't expect one uh, i've had i've had lots and lots of responses from mps so the letter was copied to all mps and so i've had lots of responses uh, particularly from uh, tory mps i've only had i've only had two or three which are sort of trying to uh, defend this indefensible idea uh, but I've had I've had several Tory MPs who have assured me um, that they are totally against what's going on and that they'll do everything uh, to to stop it. Uh, Steve Baker put us in touch with his PR guy, which I think must have something to do with the fact that this letter ended up in the BBC and all, all the national newspapers. So he's 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 uh, heading up the the opposition to this uh, to this proposal. Of course, people like uh, Charles Walker and Desmond Swain. Uh, responded as well, and they were they were very happy about what we were doing. Uh, so so in that sense, uh, good good emails back. But then you know how it is, Richie. We don't really know what's going on behind the scenes, do we? No, we don't. And I'm I'm glad you've gotten some positive responses from the likes of um, Steve Baker. I'm sure Mark Harper was in there as well, and others that are you know vehemently opposed uh, to to this. I mean, it it's a brilliant. It really is brilliantly written. I mean, when the the idea of vaccine passports was mooted you were aghast obviously were you you were properly cheesed off yeah well i mean to be honest richie it's it's with this whole everything that's been going on it's hard to sort of look back and 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 take stock of it all isn't it but i've been i've been aware that this is the direction that this has been heading i think since since close to the beginning of this they've been talking up vaccines since the very beginning and i i was i i remember messaging people it must have been six months plus ago saying you know the reality is soon they're going to try and start banning people from coming into churches if they're not vaccinated and uh, lo and behold that's exactly what they're talking about doing so uh, particularly with william philip who's the who's it was william and i really who who um, decided to do this and then we we asked some other people to come in as co-signatories so with with william we thought we'd make a preemptive strike and uh, put it out there now that this is totally unacceptable. We're not going to put up with it uh, before it got any further. Because um, I don't know whether you, I don't know whether you saw, but the vaccine uh, minister who who categorically promised that there would not be any such scheme. He called it discriminatory. He yeah. he said there is no way we would ever do this. Of course he's of course he's changed his mind for some inexplicable reason. And he was even starting to make noises about introducing them in churches as well. So we just thought, Richie, you know, we're going to make a preemptive strike. We're going to put it out there right now that if they try and do this, they're going to have a lot of trouble with us. Brilliant. And you're referring, of course, to Nadim Zahawi, who you quite rightly point out, said that this was was un-British. He wasn't the only one to say that it was an un-British thing uh, to do. So go back to the beginning of it then. So from the beginning, you were not happy. Again, I saw your interview with James, and it's excellent because James is brilliant. It's a great podcast. I recommend The Delling Pod. Uh, You can watch it on YouTube and you'll get it in your own podcast. Uh, Dear listener, whoever gives you your podcast will provide you uh, James Dellingpole's show. It's very, very good. So from the get-go, you were sceptical about lockdown itself. Why was that, Jamie? Yeah, well, I mean... 
it all happened so quickly, didn't it? But then, then a couple of things happened, which made me, which made me start questioning it. So, so one of them was that I read an article in the Spectator by Dr. John Lee, and it, this was when I first came across the distinction of people dying from COVID and 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 of COVID, or rather with COVID or of COVID. I, I probably should say. Yeah. And, and you know, we're all familiar with this now. But at the time, I thought, well, if they can't if they can't differentiate between people who have actually been killed by COVID and people who have just had COVID in their system when they've died for whatever reason, surely these these figures around the deaths are, are massively uh, unreliable. So that was the first kind of warning sign for me. And then the second thing was, I, I think it was, well, two articles point, making the same point. One of them was by Pete Hitchens. And then the other one was by, who's that guy who writes all the National Trust books about churches? He writes for The Guardian. I forget his name. Anyway, they were both making the same, the same point, which was that uh, Neil Ferguson and his team at Imperial College uh, have, have basically had a track record of catastrophic failure in their predictions. And, and one, one which um, was particularly shocking that made an impression on me is when, um, when Hitchens was talking about the way that they, that they uh, forced uh, farmers in the West Country to slaughter, I think it was something like six million cattle yeah. uh, because, of the, because of the, you know, the, the, the insanity around uh, mad cow disease. And, the, you know, these, these uh, herds were you know they were reared for generations uh, by farmers who were were forced to cruelly slaughter them uh, for absolutely no reason whatsoever so this is one of the reasons that hitchens was alive to this from the beginning because he knew of he knew of this um this crackpot neil ferguson and his his mad uh, predictions and and the way that this was sold to us from the very beginning from march 23rd was that Imperial College and Neil Ferguson have predicted that unless we bring these measures in, I think the initial prediction was 510,000 people would die. Yeah. And even with these measures, it would be something like 250,000. So that was really the initial justification for the whole thing. And so when I read these things, I thought, well, the, the death figures are unreliable. And that continues to be the case to, to this day. And also that these predictions seem to be made by a man who's got an appalling track record. So why on earth are we closing down the country because of this and and you know this is going to cause absolute devastation to people's lives you know in so many different ways you know there there surely has to be a better justification than this but but of course there wasn't and now we now we all know of course richie that this is uh this is about something other than just protecting people's health it's 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 a takeover but that was that was definitely that was definitely the sort of uh the you know those those two those two bits of information were the first sort of warning signs for me I'm so glad you mentioned mad cow disease. And for our listeners who don't know this, years ago, Ferguson was part of a team. I can't say this without giggling, that modelled the possibility that 10 million people might die from mad cow disease. I mean, they actually put that in the public domain. They, they said it's possible that, you know, if, if left unchecked, mad cow disease might kill 10 million. You're quite right. He's had a track history of um, appalling modelling. Now, in in his defence, not that I'm, you know, thrilled about defending him, but but he isn't here. If he was here, he might say, "Aha!" But the fact that we did lock down and that we locked down several times that proves I was right. That if we didn't, a lot more people might have died. He might say that today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's 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 just it's just nonsense, isn't it? Um, you just need to look at places where they haven't locked their countries down. Uh, in the Western world, places like Sweden or, or states like, um, I think, North Carolina and, and particularly Florida, yeah. where they've hardly done any of this stuff. And there's not been the mass death that um, Neil Ferguson predicted. So you can always you can always say this, can't you? You can always say, well, you know, if you hadn't 
if you you know well you should chop your arm off and and then you won't you won't get heart disease and then you can chop your your arm off and not get heart heart disease and 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 claim it was because you chopped your arm off it's it's that it's that old thing of of correlation not equaling causation it's a it's a logical fallacy um so so i think the real world data uh, shows that it's shows that it's nonsense and and the claim itself is is spurious unless it's backed up with other evidence so yeah i mean i i find it i find it completely unconvincing that i don't think i i've got uh, i don't think the lockdown has made a blind bit of difference in fact you know so i'm not a scientist richie but but it makes sense to me the stuff that i've read about non-pharmaceutical interventions that it probably actually increases the transmissibility of the virus uh, because because the virus needs to be more transmissible in order to survive so it probably actually um, encourages even more dangerous variants of the, vi- the virus if you lock people down, which which sort of makes sense if you think about it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and I've heard that opinion given on this programme by certified medical experts. You're listening to the Reverend Dr. Jamie Franklin, a curate at St. George in the Meadows in Nottingham. And Jamie was heavily involved in drafting that very powerful letter to every MP in the country and to the Prime Minister himself. Uh, It's great to have Jamie on the programme. A lot of tweets coming in, a lot of people interested in this. I will read out some of your tweets as, as we go along. You said that it's about something else at takeover. Yes. Why do you believe that? Uh, well, I think that if you would, it becomes increasingly hard when you look at the facts to explain this as people who are well-meaning but incompetent, trying to protect people from COVID-19. Um, if they were, if that were true, they would not be behaving like this. And I think that um, there are lots of examples, masks, for example. Uh, masks were, were introduced after the first wave of the pandemic was over. And everyone knows that there's no scientific evidence for the efficacy of masks. And all the evidence points in the other direction that they don't do a thing. Do you know this 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 uh, virus, a, a friend of mine who's an engineer told me this, who used to make face masks for a living. Uh, this virus is a nanometer across. So a cloth mask just just does nothing. You know, this is this is an this is an open secret. So why did they why did they bring these masks in. I, I think it was in May or June last year. They did it in order to control people. They did it in order to dehumanize people. It's almost certainly the case that masks are incredibly unhealthy for people. Uh, I, I remember hearing your interview with Dolores Cahill, where she was talking about how they, they cause brain damage and, and reduce people's level of oxygen and, and increase the amount of CO2 that people breathe in. So masks are almost certainly incredibly bad for you. They do nothing uh, for COVID at all. And the scientific evidence is very, very clear. So why would they bring them in? It's, you know, it's about social control. The vaccine passport is another excellent example of this. The vaccine passport, Richie, makes absolutely no sense. None. If the vaccine works, then people are protected from COVID, right? And if it doesn't work, then the whole thing is, is, a, is a waste of time talking about it. So you've got a person who's vaccinated and they're, they're clear of the virus. Um, so, so what difference does it make if they're surrounded by unvaccinated people? It, it just doesn't make any sense. The fact is, is that the vaccine passport is an end in itself for the government, in my view. They want this level of control over people. Now, I don't, I don't know, Richie, you know, to what extent this was planned uh, and who planned it. But it seems to me increasingly, uh, well, let me put it this way. It seems to me that there's an increasing amount of evidence that there are a small group of elites, businessmen and crackpots like Klaus Schwab who want to re-engineer 
human society um, upon the face of the earth. You know, they want a digital currency. They want a database with everyone's information in it. They want to be able to control people's movements. They want to be able to control uh, what kind of uh, healthcare people receive, uh, what what vaccinations they have, and so on and so forth. I mean, it seems to me, and you know, and, and I, I think also, Richie, it, it, there are there there are almost certainly people involved in this who have a depopulation agenda as well. So, you know, it seems to me very clear that something of this sort is going on. Now, I don't know what it is specifically, but, you know, all you have to do, Richie, is go on Amazon or, you know, your, your you know, go to your bookstore where you get books from uh, and, and order the book COVID-19, The Great Re- Reset, yeah. which is written by Klaus Schwab, who is the head of the World Economic Forum, and he spells it all out. It's all in that book. So this isn't this isn't a conspiracy theory. This is what people like Klaus Schwab have been planning and working on for for decades, literally decades. I mean, he's in his 80s now. I think the WF started 40 years ago or something like that, maybe even maybe 50 years ago. But but, you know, he's got the, all the major corporations of the world as um, stakeholders in the WEF. All the major politicians of the world have been going to Davos for for decades and and pl- planning these things. I mean, it's 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 absolutely clear. It's it's not some kind of crackpot conspiracy theory. Uh, there is something going on which is not related to COVID nineteen. And I, I, as I say, I think with these vaccine passports, I think that is becoming increasingly clear to people as they look at it and they realise just how just how illogical and 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 senseless it seems. If this is solely about protecting people from from a coronavirus, and, and as a man of the cloth or a man of God who spends a lot of you spend a lot of your time talking about the message of 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 Jesus Christ, the 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 incredibly positive and um, I suppose wonderful. Um, I mean, it's been so long since I've gone to church, but I've read scriptures, I've read the Bible. It's it's a model for 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 living the Bible, the New Testament, for how people should live the message of Jesus. And you you've been surrounded by that. I suppose for for most of your adult life, if not all of your adult life. So, based on that, is that something that you've had to struggle with? Then have you had to wrestle with this idea that something so well unimaginably evil might not only be possible but might be transpiring? Has that been difficult for you? Oh yeah, Richie, it's it's been absolutely difficult for everyone because I think we've all we've all to a certain extent, or maybe to a very large extent, had to re- readjust our view of of almost everything. I mean, I, I still believe, you know, in that sort of, um, big picture sense, I still believe the same things, but I had no idea about any of this stuff, uh, you know, over a year ago, it just would, it would never even occur to me to even look into it. And if people had been telling me something was going on like this, it would have been, I would have dismissed them as a crackpot. So it's been a, it's been a paradigm, uh, shattering experience for me, for sure. But what I would say, Richie, is that I, at times, I'm overwhelmed by a sense of just sheer positivity and excitement about what's going on, because I've I've never ever had an experience like this in my life where I've connected with so many people in such a positive way. I mean, particularly through our through our podcast, Irreverent. I've had I get dozens and dozens of emails every week from people saying very very similar things and i've i've heard similar voices on on your on your show as well i mean i, I was listening to it's uh, rachel from uh, dragon's den yesterday uh, this this and and of course your uh, father artur isn't it um yeah. you know this 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 um 
this group of people who are awake and alive to this, it, it's, there are communities forming all over the country, and I'm sure all over the world, of these, of these people who are awake, you know, and, and it's, it's, not just, um, it's not just an intellectual or a cognitive thing. I really think it's a spiritual thing. I think these people want to know the truth. They want to live in the light. Lots of them are Christians, but lots of them are, uh, are, still, are still seeking or are unsure what they think. And uh, it's honestly, this, this, these communities that, that are forming and these people that I've connected with and who are all connecting with each other, it's, it's an amazing thing. I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible. I, I was, I was uh, stunned uh, listening to Father Auteur when he was talking about the way that his video, you know, of him kicking out those, those, um, those Gestapo, as he called them, from his church, uh, that's, you know, received over a billion views. You know, the, 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 the light is strong and it's stronger than the darkness. You know, the darkness will not overcome it. And, you know, as, 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 uh, as we all know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And I really think that this is a, this is a, this is a spiritual awakening that's happening in the West. And, and as such, Richie, I, I am, I'm really excited about, about what it's going to lead to, for sure. Really positive stuff, this. By the way, you can find Jamie, Irreverent Pod. So it's at Irreverent Pod. I've just followed him. So if you go, if you follow me on Twitter, just look at who I've recently followed. It's at Irreverent Pod. I'm not going to lie and say that I've seen one of the podcasts yet, but I, you can be sure of it. Uh, later on this evening or tomorrow morning, I'll be checking out the uh, the podcast, Irreverent, uh, Irreverent Pod. If you've just joined the programme, delighted today to be joined uh, by the uh, Reverend Dr. Jamie Franklin, who was, uh, as I said, heavily involved in drafting that very powerful letter to every MP and the Prime Minister uh, at, at Westminster over the vaccine passports. And uh, it's a really, really, really well written letter picked up by the media. You said it was Steve Baker's people, didn't you? That that, that probably persuaded the media to cover it. But I'm yeah. delighted. It's re- it's re- really powerful. I, I can't say that uh, enough. When... when um, so the vaccines themselves, then, yeah. I, I nobody could say, nobody could accuse me of being anti-vaccine. I never have been. I mean, I was vaccinated against, I think, uh, God, what was it? I went out to Central America, so probably malaria, probably in two thousand and two. Um, but I've begun to worry over the years. I've been doing programs like this since two thousand and nine, so I've heard from people over the years who've warned about how many are being added to the schedule for kids, and maybe it's not good and all of that. And um, I've been looking into vaccines and listening to people who have grave concerns about them. There are a lot of concerns at the moment about these vaccines because the mRNA ones are not really vaccines. They're something completely different. They're very, very new and people feel very pressurised into taking these things and they're not convinced that they're safe. Now, I'm certainly not going to have one. Um what I mean, it's really important for somebody like you, Jamie. You know, in the position that you hold, I suppose a lot of people will be asking your advice on this. What will you be doing yourself, and what advice would you give if somebody said, if a if a member of the congregation, member of the flock, said, Reverend, what should I do about these vaccines? What would you be saying to them? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a really it's really tricky, Richie, as as you can imagine. Um, I, I, I hasten to add before I answer that that nobody <laughs> nobody has asked me, so uh, I'm quite I'm quite pleased about that in a way. But um, 
I my my view, Richie, is that um, I mean I don't agree. Obviously, I don't agree with this thing about saying that everyone should have the vaccine. I just think that that's um, you know I just I, well I, I can't I can't say what I think about that because it wouldn't be polite. But it's it's completely wrong. Um, you know when when somebody is um, evaluating whether to have a, a medical treatment. You've got to weigh up the relative risk of the virus in this case against the potential risk of any side effects from, from treatment, right? I mean, that's just that's just basic. You know, if you have if you have cancer and you have chemotherapy, the chemotherapy might save your life, but it but it will poison your body and make you very unwell. So you have to you have to weigh that you have to weigh that up. And it's it I, I guess what I would say in a pastoral situation is is exactly the same thing. Is that you have to you have to look at the situation of the vaccine and say, well, for for a start, do I need this vaccine? And I would say that the majority of people don't need the vaccine because the majority of people are not at risk from COVID. And then if I if the vaccine were to provide some kind of benefit, you know, what what are the dangers associated with it? So somebody like Mike Eden, who I, you know, I really respect him and trust him, he said on, uh, I think it was on Delling Paul's podcast, um, that people who are I can't remember exactly, but he said something like, you know, 75 plus, or if you've got serious underlying health conditions, or if you're very overweight, and you've got diabetes, there might be a case for actually taking this vaccine. Uh, but if you're if you're not, um, and he gave himself as an example, you know, he's retired, and I, I guess he must be in his 60s, uh, he would he would not take it. So so I think I'd want to have that kind of conversation with people, Richie. Obviously, you have to be sort of pastorally sensitive. Yeah. Uh, with, we have to meet them where they're at. But I guess that's that's where I would that's where I would start with people for sure. And then if they wanted to know more, uh, probe a little bit more about, you know, what I really think about the the sort of experimental nature of this this vaccine and and the risks associated with it being an mRNA vaccine and so on. Uh, you know, I, I, I suppose I would I would I would need to tell them what I, what I really thought. Um, but, you know, um, as, as, as I'm sure you're picking up from me, Richard, I for me, it's an issue of trust, right? So forget forget the science. It's an issue. It's an issue of trust. If people lie to you, and you know that they're lying, and they lie over and over again, you stop trusting them, right? And I think that these government advisors are lying. And I think that well, it's not that I think the government are lying. The government are lying. They've lied over and over and over and over again. I was looking at Matt Hancock's article in the Spectator in January. I was looking there yesterday, where he said that um, he said once the vulnerable people who are over sixty-five and and vulnerable people under were were vaccinated, the lockdown would be lifted. Yeah. The the response the um the question put to him was, uh, so what about people who haven't been vaccinated? Will you will you lift the lockdown even if people haven't been vaccinated? And he said the words "cry freedom." And then he was asked, "Are you going to introduce an immunity certificate?" Which which means a vaccine passport, and he said we're not looking at that. You know, so so these are lies, Richie. These, these are liars, lie, yeah. right? Yeah. They they are liars. They are literally liars. So if they're lying about those things, why would you then entrust your own personal health? To, why would you let them inject you with an experimental vaccine if they're lying to you? And I'm very I, concerned about something else, uh, Jamie. I featured on the program a few weeks back. Hancock was asked a question by two Conservative MPs whose names escaped me, but I played the audio on the programme. Both of them wanted to know how many people had died within 28 days of getting a vaccine. And he nearly fainted when he was asked the question. And one of those MPs, as far as I understand, tweeted in the last day or so that that information has yet to be presented to uh, him by the Department of Health 
they are lying and they have lied and I, I believe that this va- th- these vaccines are injuring people. Now, I, I've got to put a caveat on that. You know, I, I don't have any hard data to hand, but I'm hearing anecdotal stuff from people and from people I trust that these vaccines are causing clotting. A very good friend of this programme, who's a very reliable journalist, told me that he knows two people who sat mercifully, mercifully um, had a clotting incident but the clot was dissolved with intravenous medication very quickly thereafter. But I do believe that these things are causing injury. They can't possibly know either what sort of impact the, the intervention will have on people over a period of years because they haven't been observed in people over a period of years. And for those, for those reasons and many others, I wouldn't touch one of these things with a barge pole. But I love your answer. It's very honest. And when I tell people, listen, I won't be taking it and why... I, I always remind them that I am not, you know, a medicine man. I'm not, I'm not a doctor, nor am I an immunologist. But these are the reasons why I wouldn't take them. You were, you brilliantly summed it up. They are lying. They've lied since day one. And it's distressing, isn't it, today to hear David Nabarro from the World Health Organization say that, you know, we've got to keep masks and distancing going for months and that there's no doubt that a deadly variant will come in that, that, that will be capable of beating the vaccine. So we're going to have to take even more and more vaccines. And I don't know how frustrating this is for you, Jamie, but to see presenters, you know, supposedly professional presenters, not challenge any of this garbage. For, for, as somebody who's worked at every level of the media, it distresses me no end. Uh, how do you cope yourself when you watch some of these interviews? And I almost go through the television screen, to be honest. I don't know how you feel about it. Well, Richie, I, I basically don't watch the mainstream media anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I was finding it so distressing um, because because you want you want these you want to trust these people, don't you? you want to yeah. you want you know? I remember watching the early press conferences during the first lockdown. Uh, you know, really believing. Uh, naively now I think that um, you know the death rate going down was actually going to make a difference to them you know and so you keep on trusting you keep on hoping and uh, and and the whole thing just carries on so you lose trust so I view the mainstream media thing as a, basically a kind of psychological assault you know um, on 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 people's souls so um, are you still there Richie I think I might have lost you not at all I'm listening intently I'm all ears I view the mainstream media thing as basically a kind of psychological assault on people. It's sort of, you know, it's it's an attack on our minds and our souls. So the best thing to do, in my view, is just not to watch any Switch of it. it I mean, most people, most people I speak to about this say, you know, who are awake to what's going on, they say, well, it's like a kind of dark. It's like there's a kind of darkness, you know, when you watch it, it kind of puts you in this this dark, distressed mood. And I think I think that's intention, to be honest with you. So so I just I I think. The first step for people, you know, if you want to if you want to clear your mind of all this garbage, stop watching the mainstream media and don't don't put any trust in these politicians because nothing, nothing they say is going to happen. They will change what they say tomorrow, uh, you know, depending on whatever the plan is. They are not telling the truth. So don't don't invest anything psychologically in them or emotionally because because they're liars. So when somebody's abusing you, Richie, you don't you've got to you've got to cut yourself off from you. Because otherwise it's gonna it's gonna torment you. So 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 that's that's the first thing um, that 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 I would say. And I think since I I mean I don't know how I can't even remember how long I've been doing this for at least six months. Um, you you you've got to you've got to you've got to focus on things which are 
which are positive. So there's a verse in scripture, which I, I've been thinking about quite a lot. It's in, it's in the book of Romans and it says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good, right? And if you're gonna do that, you've got to fill your mind and your soul with good things. And, and watching, watching the media and following you know, BBC news on Twitter or having the BBC app on your phone, is not good you know you it's 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 just going to fill your mind and your soul with with lies and and untruth and you're going to get bitter and you're going to get angry so so my 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 advice is just totally cut yourself off from that rubbish and only listen to people who are truth tellers and you know that's that's the first step to getting free of this um of this of this evil and, and this darkness psychologically brilliantly uh, put if, if you turn off the television there is no pandemic right yeah, yeah, of course. Well, there's that thing of, uh, you know, this sort of meme of this Amish family, uh, you know, going along on their on their horse and cart. And there's some Western person who goes up to them and says, you know, don't you have COVID in your commune or whatever? And they say, well, there's no co- there's no COVID because there's no TV. Fantastic. So, you know, that's that's the reality. Lovely to see Keir Starmer. I mean, that was a very bad look for Keir Starmer yesterday, getting turfed out of a pub in Bath by an irate landlord. Who, uh, God love him, put 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 Starmer right in his place and said, you know, you've you've ruined our lives basically by not standing up to it, by by not challenging any of it. And uh, that was a very positive thing. It was also quite funny as well. Um, I, I, we'll, we'll turn away from coronavirus in a moment to talk about wokeism, which is something that that you're uh, very interested in, uh, in in the church. I do want to to remind our listeners if they've just joined us, we are speaking this afternoon with uh, the Reverend Doctor Jamie Franklin, uh, James. Jamie was um, involved in drafting a very, very potent, a very powerful letter to the government and to every MP, to Boris Johnson, about vaccine passports and why uh, a thousand Christian leaders are vehemently opposed to the introduction of, of, of such a thing. It's a great, great read. If you put Jamie's name in, if you put the letter, vaccine passports, Christian letter, you'll, you'll get a link to it straight away. I recommend that you read it. Lovely to hear the positivity. And if you see later on, if you get a chance, if you look at the tweets that have come in while we've been chatting, uh, BBG Richie, if you put BBG Richie into Twitter, press enter, you'll see... Um, how wonderfully um, uplifted people have been thus far listening to your very positive message, uh, Jamie, and why you're optimistic that we might get out of this because um, a lot of people have had a lot of very dark days, you know, over the last uh, six, eight, 12 months, not not seeing, you, you know, the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, as it were. But um, before we do move on to talk about wokeism, um, just to finish with coronavirus, glass is definitely half full for you just to reiterate that you believe that there is a great opportunity here you know they use terminology like build back better which is terrible because it won't be better it'll be dreadful it'll be dystopian and draconian but maybe out of this you know good people right-minded people we might create something better jamie yeah absolutely i mean the world they're trying to the world they're trying to bring in is anti-human it's it's absolutely evil what they're doing trying to separate people from one another trying to dehumanize us and I mean, you could we could talk all day about this, Richie, but but just suffice to say that it's utterly wicked and evil, just like any other of these these godless and anti-human regimes that we've seen in the 20th century. But the thing about these ideologies, Richie, which is so is their weakness is that they run contrary to human nature. You know, humans don't you know, you have to put an awful lot of effort into trying to make people behave like this and it will not it will not last forever. But as I say, it's it's more than that sort of pragmatic common sense thing that people will eventually see the light. It's more than that. There is a spiritual battle here and and the darkness does not overcome the light. The light overcomes the darkness. The darkness will not last forever. 
And what people have to do, as I say, whether they're Christian or not, they have to seek the light, seek the truth. You know, as, as a Christian, I, I believe that that Christ is the truth and that Christ is the light. And um, and I, I believe that if people seek the truth, they will really find it. You know, it's, it's like Christ says, seek and ye will find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. And, the, and for everyone who's having those dark days, and believe me, Richie, I've had lots and lots of really dark days in the past year. I mean, really not for six by this. I mean, trust me, for people who are in that dark place, seek the light, seek the truth, seek out other people who are awake to what's going on. And you'll find such friendship and comfort and support. I guarantee you, you know, it's, 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 it's almost overwhelming to me sometimes when I think about the emotional outpouring of love and support I've received from people. So so it's out there. We need to we need to band together and we need to be strong. One of the things that the, the this agenda is trying to do is to separate us from one another, to isolate us and atomize us. And we must resist that with every fiber of our being. It's divide and conquer, Richie. We need to be together on this and to seek the truth together. Brilliant. Great message, Jamie. And and one of the I think one of the one of the explanations, not one of the explanations, I look back, I've been listening to people who've been warning about this eventuality for many years. Going back to my days presenting radio in Spain, I could list a dozen or two dozen men and women from England and from the United States who've been talking about a desire to create a dystopian um, existence. And many of them were un you know, eerily accurate in the things that they were saying back then when we look at where we are now. And one of the things we discussed a lot back then was identity politics and how that would be used as a wedge to drive people apart. And I've interviewed some great men and women on that particular subject. And that kind of takes this identity politics to wokeism. And um, I always smile when I say that. There's a brilliant article in today's Telegraph written by Celia Walden. And if I, if I know me stuff... I think Celia might be Piers Morgan's partner. She might be. And um, she's written a brilliant piece on, on, on wokeism and how dangerous it is. And you're something you're concerned about from, from a church point of view, Jamie. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's one of these things where the church, has, uh, the church of England, at least, has, has, has really embraced identity politics. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's a dangerous and, and divisive ideology and um and yeah i mean i was dismayed in the summer last year when when there were pictures of, of clergy taking the knee and um you know and it, it, there's been massive endorsement of, of black lives matter and so on and so forth and i think richie you know for me everything everything comes back to everything comes back to theology everything comes back to scripture um the the message of the gospel is not identity politics it's not that uh, we're all we should all sort of compete in our groups for, for power and for place in, in society. It's that Christ comes to bring reconciliation and forgiveness uh, between different groups of people. You know, so there was great hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles in, in uh, first century um, AD. And, and the book of Ephesians talk about, talks about the way that through the cross, Christ has broken down that dividing wall of hostility. And that's what Christianity does at its highest. I mean, look at Martin Luther King, Ritchie. Look at what he look at what he stood for. I mean, he was a he was a Baptist minister. You could read his sermons. He was a he was a deeply, deeply Christian man. And what he stood for was a post-racial future where yeah. we saw each other not as black and white, but as individuals made in the image of God. 
and that we should we should judge one another not on the color of our skin but on the content of our character there's a deeply christian message and in my view these 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 people who are advocating this new form of racialism are betraying the legacy of martin luther king and as i say it is a deeply deeply anti-christian godless and divisive message yeah, it infantilizes people too. It makes victims of people. I interviewed a gentleman who I have no doubt did experience racism when he was um, working for the Metropolitan Police in London. He's well known, the gentleman. His name escapes me right now. Um, sadly, I should know better. Uh, it'll come to me in a moment. And we had a decent enough interview, but he got very annoyed afterwards because I wouldn't accept that we are inherently racist and intolerant because I don't see any evidence of that. I really don't, um, Jamie. You know, I'm not saying that there are not people who go about in the world with hardness in their heart and who might, you know, frown upon people based on their race or based on their sexual orientation or whatever. I'm sure those people exist. But the majority of us are not like that. And I won't be told, you know, that I am inherently hostile, subconsciously biased against people because I know that's not true. I won't be told that by anybody. And... um it it, infant, it makes victims of people. And I said to, I do have, um, um, I, I wouldn't say that in my close circle of friends, I would have black friends. I don't, for whatever reason that is. I've never been surrounded by too many black people where, I, where I've tended to live. But um, I do have a lot of colleagues um, of colour, we, we, we could say. And many of them are frustrated by this nonsense because they say, well, Richie, it ultimately disempowers me. It yeah. makes the state or, or, or the auspices of the state or the pillars of the state, you know, kind of, kind of in control of me there yeah. to protect. I don't need to be protected. And that's a very good point, that, isn't it? It infantilizes people. Yeah, it, it is. And there's also, I mean, I've got a, a good friend in the church who, who's, who's, who's often in the media. He's called Calvin Robinson, who is, he's a, he's a, he's a, a black man and uh, he's currently training for ordination as well uh, in Oxford. And he, he is a conservative and he speaks out against this stuff. And he receives, he receives what it can only be described as explicitly racist abuse from other black men and also, and also maybe it must be said from, from other people as well. But they, but they call him names like, uh, he's got an afro and they call him names like microphone head, they call him microphone head. And they, they said he was a, he was a conservative house N word. You know, and they're, they're explicitly doing this on Twitter. And, you know, he's, he's trying to point out that this is actually this this ideology, this supposedly anti-racist ideology is just another form of racism, because because all it, what it ultimately is, is a political ideology that, that goes under the name of blackness. But it actually it actually persecutes people, even if they are black, yeah. if they disagree with it. So so it's 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 this kind of doubly pernicious uh, ironic, ironically racist ideology. Do you see what I mean? I do. I remember many years ago, I worked at WLRFM in Ireland. That's where I got my start. And I produced a, a wonderful presenter who's no longer with us. He was great, a great interviewer. And we would talk to everybody and anybody. And I remember speaking one morning to victims of uh, domestic abuse. And we were speaking to a lady who said that her husband had never physically assaulted her, but that he'd beaten her down um, 
mentally for many years by constantly telling her that she was worthless, that she was this, that she was that. And she, she painted a very bleak picture of what it was like and it got me thinking. And some months ago, I was. it occurred to me that for some years now, governments have been doing that very thing that her husband did to her, doing it to us as a collective, constantly telling us that we're worthless because we're racist, we're misogynistic, we're hateful, we're filled with hate speech, we've got loads of unconscious bias, we're, as I said, we're, we're racist, we're homophobic, and we're none of that. We're none of it. But it, I began to wonder, Jamie, what impact does that have on society as a whole? That constant bombardment of being told that you're worthless and you're bad. It must be having some effect on us. Yeah, well, I think you can see um, the effect. It's, 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 uh, there was a kind of explosion of, of I, would call it, I would call it violence, really, last, last year when the Black Lives Matters, uh, Matter movement kicked off. I mean, it did happen here. You know, there was the famous uh, headline, was was it in the Telegraph? You know, 27 police officers injured in otherwise peaceful protest. But, uh, you know, in, in the yeah. US, um, violence, uh, looting, um, uh, destruction uh, has been happening, I, I think, pretty regularly ever since. You know, these 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 places in America where, where these 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 so-called protests are still happening. It's devastating. It's devastating the communities. There. So, so what, what, what this, the net effect of this, um, this bombardment of negativity from from governments and and from media around um, identity politics is is just is just a breakdown in the fabric of, of of society. And again, it does it does it does tie into the coronavirus thing because because it's it's about the breakdown of of the bonds between people and the bonds between communities. It sows mutual distrust and fear. And, and hostility between between communities, and this is this is extremely dangerous, and it, it, it is you know it only it can only lead in one direction. So so as I say, Richie, you know the answer you know the answer for me is is the gospel. It's forgiveness. It's reconciliation uh, with God through Christ, but also between between human beings. You know we have yeah. Douglas Murray has a wonderful chapter in his book. Um, on identity politics uh, called the madness of crowds, and there's a there's a chapter on on the need for forgiveness, and that's what we need, Richie. We need forgiveness. Yeah. We need to be forgiven by God, but we also need to be forgiven uh, by one another as well. And um, and that's 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 the only way out of this. I'm not I'm not denying. I mean, I take I take what you say. Uh, I absolutely agree with you. I don't. I did never even occurred to me that I I was racist. You know, until this stuff happened. I went to school. I went to um, a good school with with lots of people from different ethnicities, Asians, um, people, uh, black people, and and white people. And it never even occurred to me growing up in the 90s that there were even was such a thing as racism. So I, I'm with you on that. But it's not to say that there aren't racist things that happen in our yeah. society. I mean, I've had people who are. They're on our side, Richie, in, in so many ways, um, right right into my show saying, well, you know, if you live in central London, it is true that, that black people get stopped and, and searched much more than white people. And, and that is hard for them. So I, so I don't I don't dismiss we don't dismiss that. that. I don't, no, no. Yeah, I don't dismiss that at all, Richie. I mean, I, I'm sure that things like that do happen. And and um, and maybe it is. And well, not maybe, but I'm sure it is very hard for, for certain people. But the answer isn't identity politics. The answer is forgiveness and reconciliation you know there's there's no other way out of this except for mutual recrimination uh, hostility and ultimately violence the essence of jesus message i, I want to um 
ask you this, forgive this if it sounds a bit childish, but as, as somebody who's kind of a bit lapsed and feels a bit agnostic at the moment, I do, uh, this is not glib now at all. I'm genuinely intrigued. Um, if, if God exists, if Jesus exists, does the darkness exist alongside it? Is, 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 Satan, is, 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 is Satan a real thing? And if yeah. so, um, what part might that be playing in what's playing out at the moment? And I don't mean to be in any way flippant or in any way disrespectful or silly or lowering the tone because I genuinely am interested in uh, the answer to that. Yeah, yeah, no, Richie, I don't think you're, you're, you're lowering the tone at all. I think it's a crucial question. Richie, have you ever seen the film uh, From Dust Till Dawn with, with George Clooney? Have I you have. Ever watched that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I take a quote from that film, which I think is very, very insightful. You know, it's about these, these, these vampires, and, and George Clooney is this, this criminal who's taken hostage, this preacher who's lost his faith. His name's Jacob. And, and um, George Clooney is trying to uh, encourage Jacob. Uh, to 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 find his faith again, because you know he realizes that this is the only, Christ is the only thing that can protect them from these vampires. And you know Clooney says, you know these these efforts are straight from hell, and if there is a hell, there's got to be a heaven. And and that's that's what I think lots and lots of people are intuiting at the moment, Richie, that there is a hell, there is a Satan, there is there are demons, and there are dark powers. They're real, and they're manifesting themselves in our world. At the moment, they've manifested themselves in our world before. You know, look at look at the Nazis, look at Stalinism, look yeah. at what happened in Rwanda. You know, these are not the actions of of, of reasonable, rational people. These oh. these people become possessed by demons, and then they do the most unspeakable things that you could never even imagine. Um, you know, the killing of disabled children in Nazi Germany, for example, the burning of babies in in concentration camps. These things are these things really happen, and and they happen because people are demonically possessed. And I believe that the, the demon, the, the demonic is manifesting itself again in a, in a way which is more is more obvious now. But as I say, the, the message of hope is if there is a he- if there is a hell, there is also a heaven. If there is a, if there is a Satan, there is also a God. And and the, the message I want to say to people is, is put your trust in in God, put your trust in Christ, because this is the only way to to overcome the evil one. And it's written into the fabric of our world that the light overcomes the darkness because the darkness is not primary. It's, it doesn't come first. It comes afterwards. It's an intruder into God's original, beautiful creation. And so we have to we have to fight against it together. So, yeah, I don't know if that's helpful. It, that, it is hugely helpful, hugely helpful. And it, it kind of kind of leads to my final question for today. And thanks for coming on. Uh, Jamie, I really appreciate it. I asked you a short notice and you came on, um, which is a lovely thing. It's been a brilliant hour. I wanted to ask you, in the near future, then, when you when you might be you you might be leading a service, and you might be standing in front of a congregation, um, your will your approach to things like um your sermon will, will that change now in light of what you've learned about the world in the last twelve months, the things that that you've discovered? How will that change your approach to to celebrating a service? to say Richie I felt in the last particularly in the last couple of months I think I felt a whole lot more emotional when I've been leading services you know celebrating the mass and and preaching preaching the word preaching the gospel to people I felt just a sense of reality and urgency which I which I've never felt before 
And it's been extremely exciting to see new people coming coming to church. I've had I've had people come because of the podcast, uh, but we've also just had many new people come for all sorts of other reasons as well. So it's been extremely exciting to see to see what to see what the Lord is doing. Um, as a curate, Richie, I'm sure you can understand that I have to be I have to be sensitive to the of congregation course. and and I have to be sensitive to my position as well. But um, I do think that we need to interpret. The signs of the times and i do think we need to to tell people something of the reality of what's going on um so i i, I i'm doing that um and I, I i suppose at the moment i'm doing it probably in a reasonably subtle way but as as the times grow darker and, and people want to understand more maybe i'll be more explicit about it as, as time goes on um so 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 that's that's my approach really but as i say richie my overall feeling is that Everything that go, is going on at the moment just confirms to me that God is real, that Christ is real, that I'm really called to be a priest and to be and to minister to people, and that the the power that we have not I don't just mean as as priests but as Christians and as human beings when we seek the truth that power is an amazing thing to feel um, to feel flowing through you. So it's it's a wonderful thing, really. Beautiful way to end it, Jamie. Thanks for coming on. In the last um, 30 seconds, where can people see and watch Irreverent? Give us the link there and I'll tweet it out again. So just go to irreverent.buzzsprout.com. So it's like the word irreverent, but with a D at the end. And you can also uh, find us on YouTube. Just type in irreverent faith and current affairs and you can find us on YouTube as well. So audio and video, both are there. Can't wait to watch it. I mean that sincere. I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it. I'm, I'm really, I've, I've really enjoyed listening to you, Jamie. It's been an absolutely brilliant hour. Thanks for your time today, folks. If you haven't already, please get over there on Twitter and follow um, our guest, the Reverend Doctor Jamie Franklin. His uh, Twitter handle is at Irreverent Pod. No, no, it isn't. It's Richie said right. Yes, it is. It's at Irreverent Pod. At Irreverent Pod and Irreverent without a T, so it's a reverend pod, and I'll tweet Jamie again to say thanks for coming on. You'll see my tweet and give him a follow there. Consider the door to this programme open to you any time, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks so much, Richard. Really enjoyed coming on. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Uh, how lovely. What a wonderful guest. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Jamie Franklin, live on Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show. What a very positive and powerful message uh, there from Jamie. Right, that's uh, pretty much it for the programme today. Before I run out of time, please uh, don't forget that, that Professor Dolores Cahill will be back with me tomorrow afternoon, second hour, um, maybe a bit earlier than that. We'll, we'll have an extended conversation with her. It's been two and a half months since Dolores was on the programme and there is a lot to discuss with her, no doubt. You will know that since she was on the programme last, uh, she parted company with UCD, which is a terrible thing. That's University College uh, Dublin, where she was working for many years, uh, of course, as a scientist. She'll be on with me tomorrow. Uh, I have other guests I think booked in for Thursday but as usual because I'm a big baldy backstard I don't have the diary to hand but I have one or two uh, people booked in for the rest of the week and uh, we'll do a phone in next week we'll do two hours of uh, your phone calls and Skypes and all of that where you can have your say as well it's a glorious afternoon early evening here in Salford and I believe uh, for the country for the UK anyway the weather is set fair for the rest of the week uh, that's no bad thing right closing out then uh, today with this from Van McCoy uh, big shout out again to the right reverend 
Dr. Jamie Franklin uh, for coming on the programme. He was one of the key men in drafting the letter from the Christian leaders to the government about the vaccine passports. That went viral when I was away. Lovely to have met him uh, today on the programme. Do check him out on Twitter and go to YouTube and look for the Irreverend podcast. You'll find it pretty easily there. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday evening. Take care of yourselves and one another. I've been the BBG. Back tomorrow at five o'clock, the usual time. Until then, bye from me. Bye now. Dude, I have fun.